Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. I'm Tom Vassell. Hey, everybody. It's Rado. Hey, and we're back. And this is episode three, if you're keeping track of numbers. But I've stopped doing numbers on a lot of my shows because it it's kind of a weird thing. You People feel a little put off by numbers. Um, like if I'm look, listening to a kick, uh, podcast and they're like, this episode 236. I'm like, ah, I don't want to start there. Oh, you mean, oh, the, uh, the problem comic books have where they're constantly having to, hey, it's the all new Amazing Spider-Man number one. Forget about the previous 732. And, but as a longtime fan, I'm like, how dare you? This is issue 733. I refuse to accept that it's the new number one. Well, actually, Marvel did something interesting where they put point one after some of yeah. their stuff. And so if you if you are, never understood what that means, like it's issue 77.1, that's a good jumping on point. Are it's, they still doing that, though? Because surely that just caused more confusion than anything else. I don't think it causes confusion unless you don't know. If you don't know what it means, whatever, <clears throat> you just read the issue. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not like Marvel's an easy read anyway. Mm, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm a huge Marvel fan. I read a ton of comics and even I'll stop to go, huh? <laughs> and then I start cross. I found that I enjoy Marvel more if I just pick a series and just read through that one series. Yeah. Consistently. Yep. I Any- used to be really into it. Oh no, but we're not here to talk about comic books, are we? No. Well, we might be at some point. I'm sure that will show up as a top, uh, a top five at some point. Although I'm today's. Today's top five has got to be about games. we got to do something about games. Well, anyhow, uh, this is not the only live thing you're doing today. That is correct. Uh, in case folks would like to watch me uh, put on my spandex, right after Tom and I are done at 12 noon Pacific Standard Time, you will be able to find me on Paul Grogan's Gaming Rules YouTube channel, where he and I will be taking on the Green Goblin. I will be, of course, Captain America, and he will be Thor. And we will see how well we do. You can find that, I believe, if you go to marvel.rado.com. I set up a URL for it, so you don't have to go searching for it online. And uh, come along. It should be good fun. I, you know, uh, Marvel Champions was my number two game of last year, and I will take any excuse I can to play it. Yeah, the uh, how are you, are you slightly thrown off, though, by the distribution of the packs? Like, me and Roy are having a hard time getting them. Oh. Well. Literally tracking them down, you mean? I I don't even have the Thor pack. I I just wasn't able to get it. Um, Yep. The the stores where I bought it were out instantly. Roy finally managed to find one online, and I gave up. So I went to Covenant, uh, which is a a game store, and they sell online slightly. They're a big game store near uh, Fantasy Flight. And they have a subscription model, so I subscribed because I, I said I can't, yeah. I can't keep worrying about this. Yeah, my my history was I played the original game last year, loved it, had to move on to new things. Then I go to your convention, 
Dice Tower West, oh, he's where, <laughs> where you put Miss Marvel and the Green Goblin stuff in your library copies, like, oh, I got to try it. And then I just got rehooked. And so as soon as I get home, I start searching. I was just going to let it go. I was just going to let it go, Tom. I didn't need to go down this rabbit hole. But you were the dealer. You got me hooked. And so next thing, I find myself on Italian online game stores ordering them to ship them overseas. That's how I got my stuff from Italy. It is very hard to find, though. So yeah. um, you should wait till you see the next time. I, I got some stuff from Etsy uh, to enhance oh. the game. And uh-huh. there are some amazing uh, ac- acrylic etched counters. Roy did a little review of them on Board Game Breakfast a yeah. few weeks ago. They're oh, you mean really... those trays that holds everything all in one and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. yeah, there's trays, but there's also really nice tokens. And it just adds a really cool flair to the game. So... Uh, you can look it up on Etsy, folks. There's a lot of stuff for it on Etsy, but I will tell you this. Ain't cheap. Ain't cheap at all. <laughs> all righty. So, okay. folks, we're going to get started. The first segment we do each time here is a new game mechanism. So today's game mechanism is the next one alphabetically. And I need to switch to the screen here. Action cue. Yes. Which is not what I think most people call this mechanism at all. I don't think I've ever called it an action cue, and I especially haven't done it. It says here, you create an action cue and perform them in sequences. There's a batch cue where you do them in in sequence or rolling cues where you add it to the end of the cue, and then the first action is then executed. Yeah. it's. I call it what it calls out at the bottom, program movement. Mm -hmm. Um, Although that says an action cue that's for only movement actions is called program movement, and that's a separate mechanism entry. But I would argue they do that, have that as a separate. Oh my gosh, they do. All right. But isn't that weird? Because I, I guess to me, action cue is a subset of program movement. Because yes, in in games where you do these things, there are times where you don't move at all. You shoot or whatever you know you're doing. You pick up a, a cube. I, I wouldn't then say, well, that's not program movement. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I just refer to these as programming games. You know, I mean, and I love it. Uh, you know, programming, the uh, programming mechanism where I don't just, oh, it's my turn. I'll choose what action or what two actions or whatever I'll do. I have to choose up front. This is what my character is going to do. He's going to do this, then this, then this, then this. Man, I hope that works. You're usually doing the same thing at the same time, whether we're competitive or cooperative. And then everybody reveals, and then we run those programs, and everything falls apart inevitably, and it all goes horribly wrong. And I love it. I think this is actually a fairly divisive mechanism. Really? Well, I like it too. But if you're someone who likes perfect planning, you can be really Mm -hmm. mind just irritated at these because you make your quote unquote perfect plan and then it's messed up by a random event or not necessarily a random event by something another player does. Sam Healy. Exactly. Always hate it. You know, the, the, the number one game that people I think of and we still use as kind of the the point for this is Robo Rally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he hated Robo Rally because he would make this perfectly thing. He would have it done, and then I would move and push his robot out of the way, and then that would ruin the rest of his action programming. Also known as that's where the fun begins. Well, I I, I don't disagree with you on this one very small point, um, but got to got to keep the. So uh, Sam was wrong, and we shall not speak of him again. <laughs> He's banished. I Hang want on, him me... off your channel for having uh, said. Oh wait, never mind. Wow, okay. So <laughs> so let's go look at some of the games that have us here yeah. with. Now, I'm a little confused here by some of these. 
The first one is Robinson Crusoe actions on the cursed island. You're sorting once again by um, ownership, the, right? The, oh, I put the number of ratings. I guess an ownership would make more sense. Okay, well, whichever way you like. Uh, it's I'll, your show today. It's still the number one. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. I don't think Robinson Crusoe fits in this. No. Well, um, well wait a minute. I, okay, I, I have to admit, I haven't played this game for years. It's a worker placement game when it boils right down to it. It is. You have those events that come out. And, do you then, resolve? But you don't resolve the workers when you place, right? You place all the workers and then you resolve everything. It's been so long. Okay, I'm trying to think now. Um, yeah. You, Even still, if that's the case, I would say that is at best tangential to action programming, uh, because really the whole point of programming is I have to program. I have to program out a sequence of events by myself. If you and I are collaboratively programming, okay, well I'll program step one and then you'll program step two. Yeah, I suppose we're still programming, but it's I, I think that gets too far afield from the entire point. I mean, Robinson Crusoe is a cool game, but it's just a cooperative worker placement, which is a I, unique thing in and of itself. I do but, yeah, not disagree. I, 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 I say nay to the board game geek. And in fact, I'm going to do it right now. I am going to edit it because BGG <laughs> is a public database. Edit. And while I'm doing right. I can go on to the next one because I think well, we then, agree. This ain't I th- right. I think the next one you're going to disagree with too, and that's Star Wars X-Wing Miniatures game. No, I, I I think that's actually a really good, a really unique example of it. And quite frankly, those dials are by far the coolest thing about that game. Easily. No, no. I don't disagree with that, but that dial's not a cue. It's a single action you pick. <sighs> so are you suggesting that for it to be a programming game, I have to um, input at least two actions into my program? Yes, because otherwise it's just simultaneous selection. Oh, you're right. Okay, now listen. Oh, you're right. The original like wings, the original Wings of Glory, which okay. uh, X Wing was based on, was World yeah. War One, and in that one you had to program your more than one action in a row because really? because the World War One airplanes didn't have that great of maneuverability. So you'd say, "I'm going to go here, then turn here," and then you would always you were always putting one one ahead. So players so that, had the equivalent of multiple dials in that game. Yeah, you use cards instead. Yeah, okay. And then the, you put the card on the table and they filed it. I actually think X-Wing's an improvement on the original one. but Because they're simplifying it, streamlining it for a newer audience. And I would think you're right. I, I think you're right. It's, it, 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 it's simultaneous action selection. It is not programming. And the definer is got to have at least two entries. You know what I'm doing. I'm editing it. <laughs> Tom, you and I, we're going to fix Board Game Geek one topic at a time here. Okay, I'm... I'm currently working on another series of uh, videos where I'm going through the database, and there's a lot of games. This may take a while. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Colt Express. So mm. in Colt Express, you're running around a train. You're punching people. You're definitely putting cards down on a shared pile, and then when these come up, uh, you, you're taking different actions, punching and jumping and moving and stuff. This one definitely uh, it fits in this category. Oh, yeah, totally. I would say so. As does, of course, the next one, Robo Rally, which is the granddaddy. Not the first. Oh, what was the first? I loved how you did that before. And we went back to, like, 1928. What is the first action program, a Q game? Well, the last time we did that, we did it by... It was it mentioned it in the thing. All right, you're published. Yeah, and then you go to the last page. Oh. oh okay. I can't, We're still like... working out the kinks, folks. We'll get there. You're published. All right, uh... Petia, this is negative 100. Um, okay. So I in never Era heard of, of Antiquities game, 
featured action programming. Let's see. It was it's roughly translated as robbers. It's an abstract battle game played by the Romans. Uh, and you have different ranks of pieces. Looks like chess. I don't know where the. I don't see this programming part of it. Eh, I'm not counting this. All right. All right. Let's go. So then, back. what's the next one? Well, Although I think you just found a new game for Restoration Games to get. Yeah, I'm get sure. The rights to. I'm sure he's taking notes. The problem is, is now we. I have to go through a bunch of games that have no year. Oh, here we go. The oldest year is Push M Up Slugger Baseball Game. <laughs> uh, here's a U-Boat, Go-Car, Nuclear War from 1965. Uh, you know what? I'm going Nuclear back Nuclear War is interesting. In the description, that's the one they use as the reference for a rolling cue. Which I bet you is the first and last example of that. And uh, Jeff was just so keen on nuclear war that he had to give it its own subcategory of rolling cues versus batch cues. But That's, I'm going to say, from the description of a rolling cue, I'm all about batch cues. I, I think I, I think I agree. Having to make those decisions up front and then living with them is what makes this mechanism so, well, not for Sam, but for... For other folks like myself, so much fun. Well, actually, Sam doesn't always hate it. He hates it in Robo Rally, but he didn't hate it in a few other games. Okay. Now, now, Root is the next one on the list. Root has this in it, but only for one faction. Yep. And that's the uh, the birds. Um, the Airy. Airy, that's right. Yeah. And they're excellent. They are by far. I have played Root a couple times, surprisingly, and they were by far my favorite faction to play. That's actually um, my least favorite faction because I like... I don't want that rolling. I don't want that programming thing. I want to be able to do what I want when I want. Thank you. So. Oh, you know what? Hey, and they're an example of a rolling queue because the queue stays and you're updating it over time. You know, kind of modifying it as you go. It's brilliant. Um, and you're right there. I would think they are the probably, probably the toughest one to play because of that, because they require so much and it could just, I mean, it literally, it will literally blow up in your face. Your entire civilization will collapse if you cannot keep that queue trimmed and working well. Oh, man. The next one is Space Hulk Death Angel, the card game. And I like this game a lot. And I'd have to sit back and think really hard about where the queue part of it is. Because it's been a long time. I don't think there is a queue unless you're playing at lower player counts. Because at lower player counts, a player has to take on control of several of the squads of Marines. So on my turn, oh, I control this group and this group. And I got to play a card for both of them. Whereas if you uh, if, I, if you're playing the full player count, oh, we're all just going to play one card and have you know our, our Marines do one. So I think this one's pushing it as well. Although, man, it's such a shame this is so long out of print. This is if anybody ever asked me, do I actually like Roll to Resolve for combat resolution? This is the game I point to because it's such a brilliant little co-op. My favorite part of this game is the fact that once in a while you draw a card and you have to make a decision without consulting the other players. Why doesn't every game do that? That is so brilliant. I don't understand it. It's it it. I mean, yes, you say, well, that makes it less of a co-op. Of course, that that completely destroys the alpha gamer because you're like, I'm sorry, that's I had to make the choice. You, I wasn't allowed to ask you what to do. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I love it when I draw one of those. I love it when somebody else draws one of those, and I'm just sitting there waiting. What are they going to do? What is happening over there in that dark corner? Uh, it's fantastic. I mean, there's a top ten category for you. Amazing mechanisms that games have not copied but should. Ooh, that is a good one. And this is definitely a good one. All right, let's see here. We have Space Alert, which is kind of like a cooperative robo-rally. Yeah. As you're all programming together. And 
it's in even more. Time. It's even in real time. It's even more frustrating because you're you're probably going to play with someone who's not as good as you, and you're like, why did you not program this Indeed. properly? Look, you had one job: push the button. That's all you had to do. Walk to the right and push the button. Guess what, Rado? Here's another rolling cue: Mechs versus minions. Okay, I have to. All right. Dang it, Jeff knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Apparently, it is enough of a thing. Jeff has foiled us again. Probably did to do a little bit more research than I did on this topic when it falls right down to it. But you're right; that's another. It's another good example. Yeah. Yeah, Mechs vs. Minions. I like a lot because you 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 start with this cue built, and then you just kind of modify it, and you'll think you have this perfect cue, and then the whole board will change. Something will happen. And you're like, oh, now I got to change multiple cards. It's really cool. Yep. Oh my goods. How does that have a cue? Um, well, I guess it does. I mean, because basically every round you pick, you have a card that represents you, and you say, okay, I'm going to work in this one building. And later on, you can get helpers. And that means, okay, I'm going to send myself to this building. I'm going to send my helper to another building. So I, it's I feel like it's kind worker... of, but not. It's, it, it's, it's tangential again, I think. It's worker placement. It's just that your workers are cards. Yeah. And also, if I recall correctly, I don't think there's any real timed resolution i i tell my workers where they go but i could have my assistant go before me i think and so you're not really i've made my choices and now i gotta live with them i think you still have some flexibility although flexibility i think i think that's a, a really great place for designers to play with this because um when i looked at this list this morning before we got on i was actually genuinely surprised there isn't a, another game at the very very top of this list and you'll tell me i'm crazy but as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to say Gloomhaven is a programming game. Agree, disagree. Of course, very appropriate to talk about now since Frosthaven just launched on Kickstarter. Not that Isaac needs any kind of <laughs> shout-out from us. It's That's already true. over $2 million in its first hour. No, it, Look, if you hadn't said anything, you could have people would have went there and been like, wow, that show was so oh, popular. It was it. $2 million. Oh, no. Um, let me see. Uh, well, you're playing two actions, right? You're playing two actions. And the reality is, when I am choosing these two cards, it is fully with the intent of, I will do this, and then I will do this. If everything goes to plan, this is the program I've written for my character. How and often of course, do you switch? Um, well, it depends on how good your partner is, when it boils right down to it. It depends on how good your communication is. If we can work it all out and the initiatives work out, and that's always the most tense moment if we're both kind of going at medium speed, and I can't tell you I have a, a 42 and you have a 43 and will we be able to do this properly? But that's the thing. Uh, because of the imperfect communication in that game, if we can get the idea across, yes, we have a perfectly programmed plan. And then the only confounding factor is there's another element, the monsters, who have their own set of programs that they're going to run. If you're running three different monsters, they it, that's a program that gets run. Uh, you know, the sprites run at 22, and then the uh, dryads run at 32. Uh, okay. And, uh, you know, I, I'd say that's programming all over the place, but it's programming that once you've chosen your program, the tools you've used give you a lot of flexibility to say, okay, my program is crap. I don't have to live with this. I can try to reprogram on the fly by changing the sides of the cards that I activate. And I would argue that's why it's a programming game, and it should be on the action queue list. I'm not completely sold, but I'm not opposed to either. Let me think. Dungeon Lords? This one is, uh, they run through oh, your yeah, yeah, dungeon yeah, yes. at the end. 
Yep, yeah, that's straight up. Got to play. I think it was three cards face down. Everybody reveals. It's 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 basically like well, like the very next one, Fresco. What you're really doing is choosing where am I sending my workers and in what order are they going there. And if you end up getting to a space before I do because you went to this space, you know, as your first action, I did my second. Suddenly my plans fall apart because I really need to get first dibs on that tile. But you went there before me and you took it. So I I would totally give it to Dungeon Lords. Yeah. Okay. I know you weren't a fan, but I I think it deserves. Well, it doesn't it doesn't matter if I'm a fan or not, depending on the the category. Uh, Shogun here. This one, I don't know if you've ever played Shogun. I have never played. We we talked about it a bit with uh, uh, dice tower or you know uh, cube towers, but no, I've never played it. Yeah, in Shogun, you have different cards that you are going to different regions that you control, and then you put those regions in different things like i might tax a region i might build a church in a region i might attack with a region whatever um and then the queue is on the side you see half of it you don't see the other half so it's be like taxing happens first and then building churches happens second then attacking happens okay. third and so you pick which thing goes in which ones but you don't know what the last six are ah. so some of them are face down so you don't know what every action is going to be or the first six i don't know S- some several of the actions yeah so it's like there's a programming track and everyone is putting things on it. I don't think well Mombasa Mombasa's a How is that a Oh man, what is it? The main thing I remember about Mombasa is you play cards and then they go into a queue and it'll take a while before you get them back. Yeah, I don't know if that counts. Yeah. Because if I've that's so, then, then Concordia I, I would count that way. I will plead ignorance. It's been five years since I played it. And I'm going to argue against not alone. Not alone, you're all picking a spot that you go to at the same time. That's simultaneous yes. selection. It is not action cue. Let me... Well, and unless you want to broaden this definition to say there is a concept of a communal programming. Because that's what, we're not alone, we're all simultaneously choosing our one line of code in the program that's going to run. The program being everybody runs to all these different locations, i.e. worker placement. Okay, but if that's the case, then I don't know. To me, that's fine. Then you're making this a bigger category, and simultaneous selection is just a small subcategory of that type. Well, then I'm going to let you um, ch- uh, update the not alone database. Oh, are you kidding? Already- I'm not... I'm not going in. I, there's look at all these X-wing Don't expansion you packs. If they accept your change, you get half a geek gold every time. You'll be rich. Yeah, Roll but I'm already I'm already getting rich from the whole one geek gold I get for doing a 30 minute video. You know. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, I'm I'm sliding down past a lot of this stuff, but Lords of Zidit is one that a lot of people don't know about. This is definitely a programming game where you're mm. going to program your actions. It's it's very Euroy. It's I'm, I'm assuming you haven't played it. No, I have not. I think you might it's like this one. Three player minimum. Three player minimum. Oh, never mind. Yep. All right, jumping to the next page. Let me come down here. Oh, room twenty-five has some programming. Oh, in how it. dare you, sir? You skipped La Isla, which uh, is easily in my top ten Stefan Feld games. That is a brilliant little game, and the programming is strong in that one. Every card is a multi-use card, and you have to program based on, I think it's three different attributes, and you put three cards into three slots, and and then, and then you know, and everybody's doing it simultaneously. Everybody reveals their program, and it's an area control game where we're trying to do kind of animal conservation on this mysterious island. Oh, my gosh, this is such a great game. Are you saying you have a problem with La Isla? I've never played it. 
I think you would enjoy it. I think um, uh, this is not. I mean, th this is definitely a much lighter game than what Steffenfeld is def definitely known for. It you could almost gateway this. This is kind of a gateway plus for him. And uh, you know, it's got charming animals. See. It's got a nice little modular board you set up every time. I, I think you would really dig it, honestly. I have to see if it's in the Dice Tower Library. I'm actually currently going through like holes. Like yesterday, I played Hadera. I've never played it before. Because uh, Z reviewed it for the Dice Tower. So I'm slowly catching oh, see, up on this stuff. Um, so I'll put that on the list. I don't know if that's in the Dice yeah. Tower library or not. All right. You won't regret it. Uh, I don't know. That's a Rotto guarantee. Regretting it already. All right. <laughs> oh, Rotto guaranteed? <laughs> I guarantee his fail, then, obviously. All right. Room 25. Um, that's sort of... That's programming for sure. You program... Is it two or three actions? I don't. You probably not played this because again, it's not a two-player game. Oh. Yeah, it's exactly. like it's like Cube, the movie. You're inside this thing, and everyone's moving around trying to escape and not fall into rooms that are horrible. Yep. There's Wings of War, famous Aces. I mentioned that one. Right. Carson and City, that one which earned it, like you said. I'm pretty sure Carson City. The first time you played that, and last time you played that was with me. The last time I played that was with you, where, um, yeah, Jason just had it in for me. It was his goal in life to destroy the peacenik at the table and grind me into the dirt, even though I refused to, um, you know, duel anyone. Well, if it helps, at that point in my life, when you came, and I was like, oh, good. You know, I, I, this, I honestly thought this. I was like, well, I know that Rado's wife does not like combat, so when he comes to our house, he gets to finally play combat games. <laughs> And that is when I found out it was you who were more of the exactly. Care Bear. So Jen loves Tigris and Euphrates, as so, an example. Now, now I know. Yep. All right. Yep. Tiny and speaking Epic of Carson City, I think that's that one doesn't quite cut the. It is not. Either. It's a worker placement game. Sorry, it's I just a worker got... placement game where once everybody's done, you kind of run a program and activate the workers in order, Kalis style. But is Kalis on this list? I I think it would have. We would have seen it by now. So. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this. Don't worry, Tom. Rotto will fix it. <laughs> I'm glad you're on board. Well, we only have a few more minutes to go through this because we got to get to the next segment. Okay, got to move on, yeah. Tiny Epic Max, for sure, is programming. Um, have you played this one? Uh, I played a prototype of it early on. I thought, well, I, I didn't get to play it with all the really cool mechs where you slot the meeple into the mech and all that. So I, I think it seems to have more of a toy factor than anything else is what I, I remember of it. This one I've not heard of too much lately. Vasco da Gama, something like that. Uh, it's it's a, a little game. I, I think it did rise to prominence a few years ago when it uh, fell afoul of someone's roof. If that I was it. Uh, no joking. That's literally a decade ago this week. Wow. Are you going to do something special? No. <laughs> I've done enough. And besides... Since that moment, Paulo Mori has become one of my favorite game designers. <laughs> I think his stuff's fantastic. Uh, Do you think that, there is not any chance that because of your admission right there, that he's one of your favorite designers, that maybe, maybe in an alternate universe, if you were to go back, you could find yourself enjoying that game? It's possible. And it's more I, a reflection of where you were in your life at that time. That was the game. What I, you were I, looking for and I what did, you were railing against. Because ah. you love Lorenzo El Magnifico. If you love Lorenzo, there's no reason you shouldn't love Bosco. I don't think they're the same. But again, but, 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 yeah, well, it's they're, been they're a decade. different style of games. But they, they have that same dry, Euroy, oh my gosh, this is an amazing puzzle. How can I get through this um, as I build an engine thing going on? Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know. And also, by the way, it doesn't belong here. It belongs here as much as Kalis <laughs> or um, what's it? Because again, okay. it's hey, we all just do our worker placement, and then our workers resolve in order. So that's like a that's like a whole different subcategory of worker placements that res, do not resolve immediately. Which maybe we'll get to when we someday reach the W's. I am actually speeding through to look for games that do fit this category. I will stop and point out Robot Turtles. If you've never heard of Robot Turtles, it is a programming game for kids. It teaches them actual programming. Um, mm. it, but it, it's like a robo rally for kids. Really like this one. I'm just this one made me happy because my kids played it. Yeah, I, I I love that idea. Yeah, is Otis a Otis has programming? Otis, you pick- wait. But that's the that's the elevator game, isn't it? Yeah, no, the deep you know, sea diving. Again, I think that's that's leaning. I mean, because they call this action cue, any game that has any kind of cue suddenly gets this nod. Uh, I think this I is maybe agree. an issue with this na- nomenclature, uh, because yeah, Otis has a, a cue of actions, but it's not like they're all gonna you know cascade. It's I'm moving them around, but no, it is not what I would consider a programming game. Um, which is in the way that Robo Rally is. Here's what most here's what most people won't think of: Duel in the Dark. Duel in the Dark. The the English player is flying a bomber into Germany, bombing it and coming back. It sounds like a war game, but it's not at all. It's a deduction game. the The English player like builds their all their cards, then they build their whole flight pattern and they make their cue, and then the Germans like set up their stuff and try to figure out where they're going to go. And it's kind of a fascinating. Uh, fascinating. I mean, it's it technically fits in the category. Oh, uh, you know what? I just went back and I looked at the uh, topic. I don't think you read the final sentence. Most of the time, players have their own queue of actions. However, some games, notably Impulse, have a shared action queue that all players use. So, I have to rescind my um, trying to kill a couple of games from this category because they consider a shared queue which really is just another way of saying worker placement resolution. I, so, I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, one of these days we're going to have to have Jeff Eng- Engelstein yeah, on this yeah. show and be like, why? You're wrong. All righty. <laughs> well, it's half, we're already halfway through the show, so we better jump to the top five. So All right, folks. Let's, and that's, what's the category again was um, Action Q. Yes, that was Action Q. Hope everybody enjoyed. Here we go to the top five. All righty. That was grandiose. Um, <laughs> I folks. haven't seen it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the way this works is you guys give us a bunch of topics here. Top fives. Try to make them interesting, not like top five favorite games. And if you ask Desert Island, I'll never pick it, ever. <laughs> um, Desert Island, on the other hand. Ooh. Well. So I'm going to pick four of them, and then I'm going to give them to uh, – uh, Rado, and he'll pick one, and then we will together build the definitive top five list on It will it. stand the test of time. Your grandchildren's grandchildren will speak of this list in the future. <laughs> and, it, and the wisdom that was on offer from the two <laughs> titans of uh, board game... Uh, well, I'll stop. That's ridiculous. I was just trying to vamp while people... But I see the uh, they're starting to come in now. Okay. Okay, uh... I'm writing them down as fast as I can. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Ooh. Okay, I got four topics. Okay. You can stop sending them in, folks. All right, here we go. So one of them is the topic you already mentioned. 
although I'm afraid to do this one without people, without any research, is the top five mechanisms other games should copy. There's no need for research. You only have one. Okay. Then the second one is dice drafting games. Mm-hmm. And then the third one are video games to board games. Oh, ones that have already made the transition. Yeah, like, like it's a, a board game based on a video game. And then the last one is the top five monsters in board games. All right. Monsters, <laughs> video games to board games. Dice Could we amend games. that to video games that should become board games? Because I don't know if there are five that are worth calling out as, yeah, at this point. I don't... I'll I... let you think about that. Monsters. I... Oh, uh, Dice Drafting. That's a nice, simple, straightforward one. And what was the first one? Uh, mechanisms that other games should copy. Oh, I do want to do that one, but you're right. Uh, it would then prompt um, five minutes of us just frantically searching board games. <laughs> I'd be like so going through my favorite games and going, but which I do ones? want to hear it because I think that's a, fi- a fantastic topic. Um, let's see. I have to admit, uh, my, my gut is to go with monsters. Uh, I mean, I might have gone with the video games if they were asking us to hypo- hypothetically say these are the ga- video games that should become board games. Although that'd be a pretty straightforward one, too. That'd be a lot of Final Fantasy tactics and type things. So I'm going to say monsters. All right, Top monsters. five greatest monsters in board game history. Whew. The amount of uh, people who sent in topics, though. Oh, my word. Thank you, everybody. They did not fool around giving us topics. All right. <laughs> this is from Marco Amatuli, who asked this question. All right, question. Marco, good call. I'm going to let All you right. take first one, Tom, because I really do think this is more in your wheelhouse than mine. There aren't very now, many uh, monsters in Steffenfeld and Uwe Rosenberg games as a general rule. Yeah, but there might be. So I like to I like to think about them. Um, so the way this works, folks, is we can each pick. We have to both agree. Either one of us can veto the pick. So yeah, you know, maybe so someday this might we'll, take. <laughs> it might take forever. Uh, my first, my first jumping off point on this is is a monster that's straight up from Dungeons and Dragons. But that's only because this monster's on my head thanks to a certain movie that just recently came out, and it is in. I'm trying to think if it's in a board game. Yeah, it's it's in. Uh, to spoil a movie. Ah, eh, it's mentioned like at the very beginning of the movie. Um, uh, I didn't even say what movie it was anyway. Um, it's in Catacombs. The flicking game. Have you played that one? I played Catacombs. Yes, yes, yes. All right, so it's the. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I know what you're. It's it. it uh, it's kind of boxish. Yeah, the gelatinous cube, man. That's a- the gelatinous cube. Yes. <laughs> I, don't know. I am. I am. You, you, you nail this list. That might be the number one monster of all time, quite frankly. Uh, so weird and random. How did Gygax and company even come up with that? Right? I don't. I don't know. It just it cracks me Were up they because Jello at a D and D night one night, <laughs> and somebody said, "Wait a minute!" Or you know, it fell onto the map. I, you know, if that's not the origin story, it should be. That would be amazing. My personal experience with gelatinous cubes is actually in the video game realm. Uh, they had them in EverQuest. They were in, they were one of the first monsters you see in the in the sewers underneath Quainos, I think was the main city of EverQuest. And I remember going down and just being terrified, you know, because I never really experienced anything quite like that. You know, you know, it was real. If I die down here, my body is lost. I'll never find it again. That gelatinous cube is going to kill me and eat me and dissolve me. Oh man, that, and that keep was so your fantastic. stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, I, 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 I approve. 
My actually, mm-hmm. I bought, and I'm ashamed of this, but when uh, that whatever that company is that made all those tons of uh, miniatures and they just sold them. Uh, what's that company's name? It was one of the first Kickstarters. I don't even remember if you remember that. They just sold piles of miniatures. Mm. Uh, and I, so I, I bought a pile of them for no reason at all. And one of them was a gelatinous cube, and it was like a clear cube, and you could take it apart and put a miniature inside it and then put the cube over the miniature. And I love that. I don't yeah. know why. Yeah, gelatinous cube, totally a winner. Oh, and, I, and I, one I, of I'm our... I'm having a hard time following that. Well, listen, one of, one of our uh, listeners said Gelatinous Cube is a playable character in Ex Libris. The library stacking game? Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I, I believe him. Um, that, that does sound familiar, dimly. All right, I'm going to throw out the first one that I know you're going to shoot down, sadly, uh, because it's from Legends of Andor, your favorite game. Okay. No, no, actually, I don't remember how you think about Legends of Andor. I don't know how I, you feel about it. I thought Andor. it was very generic, but what's the, what's the monster? Well, okay, uh, I am choosing this less based on you know its iconic status and more on how much fear and terror it put into Jens and my life. Uh, it was I forget what they're called. They were they were like demon dogs. Uh, if you're thinking Thundar the Barbarian, uh, they, they were kind of a, a demonic four-legged panther dog type thing. And, oh, yeah, uh, I do remember those. Yeah, and yeah, okay then. If you remember them, you know what I'm talking about. They are the most memorable thing because the whole point of Andor is you're trying to defend a central castle and all the enemies have these um, lines that they are traveling. They follow arrows to get there. And most enemies only move one space per round, but those dogs move twice. They were twice as fast. And the whole point of Andor is that the enemies can leapfrog over each other. So when one of those things comes out, you have to stop everything you're doing because they will destroy you. You will just lose in an instant because they are so fast and so terrifying. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I mean, probably our most dramatic and exciting and tension-filled moments in Andor, which is one of our favorite cooperative fantasy games of all time, is because of those dogs, which have some kind of fantasy name. I can't think of the name. But yeah, I, mean, I love them. I mean, they, they had a really nice character design, too. They kind of look like the aliens from Alien 3 when, you know, the xenomorph you know, was birthed out of a dog. And yeah, they were very, very cool. Very scary for me. So you tell here, me, does nobody... it, does it uh, pass muster? Yeah, why not? I'm in a, I'm in a really good mood here. So Wait, you remembered them, like you said. Well, so actually reminded me of something else. When you said something that scared me when it showed up in a game because of how annoying it was, I'm going to jump over to ghost stories. Ooh, okay, yeah. And so in ghost stories, the monster that, that I hate uh, is the, the Black Widow because she steals one of your dice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, okay, yes, yes, yes. And, I mean, and, and that, yeah, that's a death knell, basically, if you can't get that die back fast. There's also yeah. the one who has who has te- teeth for eyes, and that scares me just looking at it. But um, uh, let's see. Boy, people are giving us some comments here from the thing. I'm going to throw some stuff that people threw out here. So they, they right. mentioned the monsters from King of Tokyo. Some people. Yeah, I was just waiting for you to get. I, I was going to give you that one. I mean, that well, one. I don't know yet. I don't know yet if I want to put those down yet. Some people are being more literal, saying like Hitler from Black Orchestra. Um, well, although okay. I would hate. To, I would sure. hate to put Hitler on a list, frankly. <laughs> um, the Dragon and Clank. Um, let's see what the else. The Dragon people... doesn't have enough presence to really feel. I mean, he's so laid back, that Dragon. He really is. I think the one in Clank in Space is more. That guy in Clank in Space causes me more. I'm, yeah, I'm more I, afraid I agree, of him. 
Here's an interesting one. I, I don't know if you played Aliens and Escape from Outer Space. No, but I, I've heard you talk about it many times. I'm, yeah, I almost feel like I have. But that's like another player, not someone in the game. So let's see what else people have said. People are talking about the new King of Tokyo Dark. That's interesting. Shark from Jaws. I haven't played Jaws, have you? No, but I've heard it's great that if you're a Jaws fan, you have to seek it out because one player is Jaws, one player is uh, Brody, and you know all the roles are taken, and, and apparently it's a very good asymmetric, uh, you know, team game. That, uh, but since neither of us played, we can't do it. If I had played it, it might make it. I, I mean, what I want to do is I want to give some credit to Aeon's End. And, you know, as that game has gone on, I mean, because Aeon's End, every time you play, all you're going to do is just sit down and fight a boss. Every time, every session is sure. a boss fight. And those, some of the later bosses that have come out are so brilliant in their design. Like the one that actually, um, you know, forces you, you know, it, it controls time and forces you to age and uh, steals stuff. It, it does more than just a standard, oh, we're putting crap in your deck. You're, we're literally aging you out. And, um, oh, man, there's another one. Uh, from the most recent expansion, you know, uh, Aeon's End is a Dominion-style deck builder where you have all your decks pre, and that's how you build your decks. But this one boss steals all the cards from those decks, puts them in a queue, and suddenly turns Aeon's End into an Ascension-style deck builder. Completely changes the entire base mechanism of the game to fight this one boss. Do and you I'm remember? amazed. There's been so much cleverness and creativity with the bosses of Aeon's End. I'd have a hard time giving it to just one, though, because I've been really blown away by all of them. But no, we need that... one more. I do like the idea of the fourth one being from the from the uh, from the commenters because it takes a lot of pressure off of us. <laughs> all right, all right. So where are we at? We have Jonas Cube and Demon Dogs. Yes, we're at two. <laughs> okay. Um, someone said um, the Nazgul from Hunt to the Ring. Um, kind of hard not to. I mean, that's almost too easy because you could also say you know the Xenomorphs from any Alien game. Sure, and there's also you. I mean, we could just jump to Cthulhu himself. Yes. Um. Let's see the the different sin monsters from the others. Those are gross. The aliens from Death Angel? No, not particularly. I'm trying to think. How about the boss in Mechs vs. Minions? The one that, if I remember correctly, that Rado spoiled at one point. Was that you, or said someone else? No, I think. Wasn't I complaining that you guys did? Or something I, like that? I don't remember. I think I showed, like, part of it or something. I don't remember. Yeah, I said, no, okay. But you know what? I'm going to give it to that it's one. Actually, it's actually bursting of out of the packaging. box. <laughs> I'm going to give it to it because of the packaging and the All presentation, right. which, of course, is... And, 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 hey, it ties with Action Cube because it's an Action Cube game. Won't spoil it again, but uh, there is a particular boss in that game that is just components-wise... The way the way you are introduced to them is so fantastic, uh, and is so memorable that I'd be—I ha- don't remember what the name of that monster is, but I would give it to that one. All right, so we're at three now. Yes. <laughs> there, there's so many good monsters here, folks. So I'm trying not to um, try to pick one. Uh, let's see. The final enemy from Stuffed Fables. The the enemies in Stuffed Fables are very cool. Same the, with Aftermath. The giant but, Cthulhu from Death May Die. Um, 
See, you know what? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one out here. Um, the uh, it's the, the the very first the lion from um, Kingdom Death Monster. Uh, it's incredibly iconic. Everybody has to fight that lion. And really, what I'm doing is giving more props to I think the strongest thing of Kingdom Death Monster. The central mechanism for how monsters are controlled in that game is when you set it up, you've got a deck of cards that represents everything that lion will do as it chases you down. And if I recall correctly, that card is kind of randomly generated from a bunch of stuff it could do. So every time you play Devil, uh, you know uh, that uh, Kingdom Death Monster, you don't know what lion you're going to fight. You don't know exactly what they're going to do. And in that regard, it feels more like an unpredictable, real monster. But what happens is, as you're fighting, every round he draws another card, does a thing, you start to learn what that lion will do. And you start to, okay, we can anticipate, oh, he hasn't done this particular move that's in his deck this time we play it. And the more you damage him, the more of those cards get pulled out. And that is such a brilliant way to thematically create a monster that has a real personality. And you could play Kingdom Death Monster a dozen times and fight a different lion every time. And so, like I said, I'm really giving a nod to the brilliance of that design mechanism that should appear in more games. There's another one that should be copied more often. Um, and, I mean, it's a really gorgeous mini. And it's, you know, it's, it's how they start that entire game. Anybody who's played Kingdom Death Monster has experienced that lion. And it's the first time you play, it's so shockingly brutal. You will not survive. You'll be lucky if one or two of you survives that fight, while the other ones are literally ripped limb from limb. So it's it's grotesque and terrifying and brilliantly designed. So I'm going to give it to the uh, was it the White Lion I think or something like that in Kingdom Death Monster. Fight me. Uh, I'm not going to fight you because I haven't played it, but I'll give that to you. I've decided I made my pick that I like to pick, and yeah. that is the Invisible Man and in Horrified because he's the biggest pain in the butt of all the <laughs> horrified monsters. He steals he your what? he steals your stuff. Like he, okay. he goes around it. You've not played Horrified yet. You've no, I've not. It, I've not. It's on I my really, list. It's on my list. There are too really, many games. There are. Are you sure? Who knew? Breaking it's news, funny. Tom. I was just saying the other day to to Bellity, I said, you know what? With us being at home, I think we can catch up on games. And then I looked at all the games in the shelf, and I was like, <laughs> what a foolish thing to say. <laughs> it will never happen. Can I have yep. Invisible Man? I'll give you the Lion. I think so, yeah. I, 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 right. I think... Um, so here's our definitive I mean, list, If we're giving it to him out of pure annoyance, if we want annoyance, then the fifth one is obviously the oozes from Gloomhaven. Those oozes yeah, are well, insanely uh, monstrous. Yeah, again, there's nothing more annoying in all of board game history than trying to fight oozes in the sewers in Gloomhaven. I'm still, I'm still picking it. Not that he's annoying. He's also scary because he's invisible. Okay, and, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we have Gelatinous Cube. Whatever the demon dogs are called. In, Let's call them demon dogs. Demon, demon dogs. dogs in general are cool, but the, and or demon dogs. The unseen boss in Mechs vs. Minions. The Kingdom Death Lion, which is more than a lion if you see the pictures. And the well, Invisible Man. It's a monster. From Horrified. Yeah. All righty, folks. We're That's about five. to go. We've that done is it. five. We've made it again. We're going to go to questions. We have like 10 minutes. Here we go. All right. All righty, folks. It's time to ask questions. We got got about 10 minutes, and then Rado's going to jump over to his other stream. Yep. Remember, folks, go to marvel.rado.com and watch me save the day. New York City is under assault. 
mysterious mutagen has been released and regular people are turning into goblin thralls. Can Captain America and Thor save the day? Tune in to find out at marvel.rado.com, which will be what I do right after this. <laughs> By the way, I just saw in the uh, chat one more uh, for Monsters, the rule book for First Martians. Oh, Ignacy <laughs> might be watching. Sorry, right. What's your favorite Star Trek series? Uh, well, I mean, I'm a child of the 70s, so I have to go with the original series. I mean, everything I know about life, I learned from Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Uh, if it weren't for that really, really strong nostalgia, you know, part of my childhood thing, though, I might. It's too early to say. I think Discovery has the potential to ultimately, depending on what they do moving into this third season, which I won't spoil at all, uh, because hopefully, if, you're, if there's any chance, you should watch the first two seasons of Discovery, because what's going to happen in season three, it has the potential to be so mind-boggling that I'm, I'm a, a Twitter with excitement. But uh, in I heard that, that season heck, two all, was... I could do a countdown for all of them. There's an easy top five. Well, yeah, no, we can't do top fives now. I haven't watched Discovery yet. Um, I like Picard a lot. I haven't finished it, but Picard is kind of a follow-up. I'm going to just have to say Next Generation because that's where I'm a child from. You know, Next Generation, uh, hashtag not my Star Trek, which we could probably argue about for half an hour. I either. just love Data and Worf. I really do. <laughs> uh, Next Generation had, amazing, it had an amazing cast, uh, amazing setup. The thing is, the first time I ever saw an episode of Star Trek Next Generation where there was some danger, something was loose on the ship, and they and Mr. Worf, see to it, and Mr. Worf and two security guys were very calmly walking down the corridor, very sedately, um, and you know, but the music was like dun 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 dun, and like do 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 do, and just like all of the life and passion and and and. Of Star Trek just bled out in that moment. You compare any scene of the next gen crew sitting at the conference table trying to figure out how to solve a problem compared to similar scenes in Star Trek, the original series, where Kirk is, you know, no nonsense, you know, like very, uh, you know, it's just like, uh, to me, they're night and day different. Don't get me wrong. I'm I mean, not, not going to fight over this one. Two, I'm, uh, it's just next gen changed Star Trek I'm not, in a way that uh, didn't really work uh, for me. I'm not a strong enough person with Trek to, to have a fight oh, over I'll this go, one. I'll go, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. What are well, your what, first... What does Steve Rogers say? <laughs> what are I your... can do this all day if you want well, to talk about Star Trek. Well, if we want to do Marvel, that's different. All right. What are your first impressions of each other's channel? I remember, dis- time? I remember distinctly seeing Rado's channel and thinking, why doesn't he own a tripod? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, um, ah, because you used to zoom in and go back out. I guess I do now. Do. I'm surrounded by tripods, Tom. <laughs> One, two, three, four tripods. I'm awash in tripods now. I'm finally, I finally joined the uh, 21st century. What do I mean? Gosh, what do I remember thinking of you? Uh, probably. <laughs> That's okay. You could be mean. I'm okay. Well, the probably the number one thing that pops into my head, just trying to look, walk backwards in mind, is, dude, and it's. I'm looking at the picture right now. What is with the neck beard? What is with the neck beard? There's no beard on the neck. It's on the chin. I don't understand why people say that sort of thing. I mean, you're not Amish. Actually, you know what, though? And I know you can grow one of these. Actually, yeah, you know, I, I always went for... In my life, I just like to look distinctive in some way. So I shaved the, the mustache. So 
And then I just I like doing that. I don't like the mustache. I grew it out, but it like got in my mouth when I would eat, and I just yeah. couldn't stand yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Yep, that's um, true. Actually, I normally trim this down, but I decided that until I can go back outside, I'm going to let my beard grow until it annoys me. Well, so we'll see what Chillin happens first. I, I I had a similar resolution that lasted all of seven days. <laughs> that was that. Uh, already my hair, I said to my wife, my hair's already getting long. I need, I need, I need you to cut it. Yeah, I'm a bit um, out of control myself. I got to get this. But fortunately, my wife cuts my hair. So I'm, I'm totally set. Let's see. Um, blah, blah, blah. Let's see. There's a lot of... Oh, Kramer or Kiesling? That's a good question. Oh, that's uh, uh, Kiesling. And I, I hate to be just so dismissive, but I actually thought about this quite a while ago. Uh, I mean, I think they are at their best when they work together. I agree. It's something about the two of them. I, I think I can only imagine it's something to do with the fact that, hey, well, no, we don't need that mechanism. And uh, Wolfgang says we don't need that mechanism, you know, because they just pair everything back to just this polished gem, uh, you know, including Paris, which is on Kickstarter right now, their, their latest collaboration. Whereas when they are working separately or working with other people, their designs aren't quite as elegant, aren't quite as polished. I'll give the exception to Azul, because Azul is... What would Azul be if Wolfgang Kramer uh, contributed to that? I don't know. There'd be action points. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> there you go, yeah. I might agree with you there. I'm not sure, because I'm trying to think of Kramer's games by himself. Um, Kiesling did Coimbra, right? Was that him? Uh, no, that wasn't him. No, that's a couple of Italian guys. I'm looking right at it. Uh, Vigerino Gigili? And Flaminia Brazzini, which is excellent. I mean, I mean, obviously, I, I don't blame anybody for giving it to Kramer solely because of famous area control game that I can't think of the name of now. That is El Grande. Yeah. El Grande, thank you. Yes, I mean and, that's true. He yeah. also worked with Ulrich, um, Richard Ulrich. So I used to think he was the. I would see both combos, and I'd say, well, the common denominator is Kramer. He's better. And then over the past three or four years, Kiesling has just burst out like a phoenix. And just, my I word. And so, I, I do not want to take away from Kramer at all. No one can take away from Kramer because he will always have El Grande. And that, in and of itself, if he were a one-hit wonder, that would still put him in the pantheon. But, yeah, Kiesling scratches my itch. Um, and he's the one I'm really excited about, nine times out of ten. All right. Adam wants to know, what board game artist is not getting enough praise and attention? <laughs> Vincent Dutre. The Miko. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> No, here's here's one I, I think that people don't talk about her as much. Fernanda Suarez. She did the art on uh, Dead of Winter and stuff, but the one that really gets my attention is Ashes. It's a really mm. beautiful game. And uh, apparently she did some of the art for Century, both Spice Road and Golem Edition. Okay. So she would be one that I would think of in that, um, in that way. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, by definition, if... They're not getting the recognition. I probably don't recognize them. Uh, but I want to say Andrew Bosley because I, I I did not recognize his name at all. But then I saw Everdell, and Everdell is so right. gorgeous. And then I realized, oh, my God, this is the pandemic guy. He's the guy who does all the art for all the pandemics. And while I never uh... considered pandemic from an artistic point of view, after I saw Everdell, it made me really appreciate the artistry that's, I mean, because Pandemic is a game where you want the art to be nice, but you don't want the art to scream at you, look at me above all else. You know, it has to, and um, you know, so I, I'm going to give it to him because I don't think he's um, on anybody's tongue, but, oh, and then Coimbra, 
That was the other thing. He did Coimbra's art, which was so wow. bonkers. Nobody expected a Euro to look like that. I think I like his stuff better than his people. I think his people hmm. are fine. Mm-hmm. But, like, Coimbra is great. I really like Coimbra. I wouldn't even guess that that was the same artist. I, 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 now I'm worried. I'm going to make sure about that because I've still got uh, Action Queue opened up. I need to do an advanced. I mean, you can't do advanced search by artist. Let's just double check Coimbra because I'll be embarrassed. C-O-I-M-B-R-A. It just popped in my head because you talked about Coimbra earlier. All and right. I love that art. And no, I take back everything I said. Sorry, Andrew Bosley. I meant Chris Williams. Chris Williams. So Chris, Chris Williams. Chris Williams is uh, Mr. Right. Pandemic Artist and Coimbra and Azul. Oh, wow. So I'm looking through his list here. Actually, I'll just pull it up here on the screen so everybody can see it. And Arboretum. Um, Arpope- Archipelago. Oh, Arboretum is amazing. Yes. I love the yep. trees in Arboretum. Huh. Yeah. And so, actually, right. I apologize. I conflated the two men, Andrew Bosley and Chris Williams. So I'll, I'll, I'll split it and give to both of them. Wow. He's now, had now I got to look up make sure I was right about Everdale. Chris Williams. All right. That's a cool name. Yeah, see, so you, you, you don't even recognize his name, and yet you have been looking at his art for years without even realizing it. What's fascinating is, is that his name has Quill in it. It's like he was <laughs> born to be an artist. Uh, he had no choice. All righty. Well, I guess, right. unfortunately, folks, that's the last yes, question we're going to be able to I gotta, answer. No, i got to save New York. Ah, it's been done before. Uh, <laughs> not this way. Uh, the big thing is I'm, I've been trying to convince Paul to play on expert difficulty because my wife, she does not. She always wants to play on standard. And we're like, we have every time. We're like, come on, Paul, we can do it. Or at least we can go down trying. So wish me luck. I can convince him to switch it to expert mode at the last second. All righty, folks. Well, as always, we appreciate you watching. We're going to do this again Friday yes. on Rado's channel. Rado runs through at 2 p.m. on Friday. And yep. That's of course, 2 p.m. Rados- East Coast, 11 a.m. or West Coast. You're right. I'm sorry. East Coast bias. Um, he's doing a live stream right now. Later tonight, we're doing Dice Tower Chat. Come join us. We're going to finish this one. Until next time, I'm Tom Vassell. I'm Richard Rotoham. We'll see y'all later. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. I'm Tom Vassell. Hey, everybody. Tom is on my channel again. I can't get rid of this guy. Well, it actually wouldn't be that hard. <laughs> if oh, okay. Me, me and uh, Eric Summer were just, uh, was it me? Or Zen Z were just talking about this yesterday. The, the benefit of communicating this way, you can stop the alpha gamer by simply muting them. Mm-hmm. You cannot do that in real life. But So if you get tired of me? Oh, wait. I'm, I'm at the control board. Exactly, yes. I'm, uh, I have ceded control of my channel to you. Uh, I just muted wish you for me no luck, reason. Everybody. All right. <laughs> All So welcome to the show, folks. We do this twice a week, uh, once on this channel and once on the Dice Tower on Tuesdays um, for, uh, for the foreseeable future, which seems to keep stretching out a little bit more each day. But tis what it is. So yeah. this uh, show, we do three different sections, four different sections. Um, the second section, we look at an action mechanism. The third section, we'll make a top ten. The fourth section, we'll answer questions. Section one, we try to guess the game that Rada's playing on his oh, table. This should be pretty straightforward, I think. I can't see. Is it more Frosthaven? Uh, no, this is, uh, was it, Forgotten Circles, the expansion for Gloomhaven. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. well, I was close. Frosthaven, Gloomhaven. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can tell because of the little, uh, what's it called? The Diviner class, which is one of my favorite classes I've played so far. Although I think it's weird. Um, this got a lot of negative pushback from really diehard Gloomhaven fans because it's an example of an expansion that like really pushes Gloomhaven into completely new areas. And a lot of people were, I'd like to stay in the area I was in, please. Um, and uh, But yeah, we I, I was very impressed by it. This is one of the most interesting characters I've played so far, and I've played a bunch of them. So, and I just had this set up because I filmed a little mini run through for my latest roundup last night, and I was going to put it away, but then suddenly it was 11 a.m., and I ran out of time. You know, I got to say, now that we were in Gloomhaven, what's it been out, three years now or so, I'm yeah. not convinced. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, no, 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 no. Controversial statement incoming. No, 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 no. It's not as controversial as you think. I'm not convinced that those extra characters necessarily needed to be spoiler. I'm not going to spoil them here. Don't worry, mm. folks. But what I mean is, I yes, it's neat to open the box and see what the new character is, but even if you knew what the character was, you wouldn't know how it works until you play it. There's so much depth to each character. And so... Definitely, yeah. I, and, and you don't get a new character till a good chunk of the way into the campaign. Uh, and so, I... Again... I don't mind that, that he set it up this way, but I would not go out of my way to avoid hearing about the new characters. Also, I went and opened them I, all up and looked at them anyway. So, And you know, the fact that Isaac set out to do that you know, with, with this veil of secrecy, you won't know who's, who, who is in this box. What is this box? Who knows? I mean, there, there is still that nice, hey, I meant to open a present feeling. There's a, but the problem is... If you ever go onto Gloomhaven's discussion forums and you have a question about how a particular character works, you will get kicked out if you dare to refer to it by its official game name. Because you have to know, oh no, that's Lionface. Or that's Three Horns. Because the community has come up with their own weird shortcuts, which, how is that any different than saying what the real name is? It's just an arbitrary word to represent a character. And it just... It, it, oh, yeah, it that's a good of, point. Yeah, yeah, right. Like if you say I have a question about the the white magician, there is no white magician. Yeah. But let's say I, I say that you still wouldn't know what that was. And then you exactly. would just say, oh, I won't read that thread. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of spoilers for everything on the Internet. As long as they're clearly labeled, I think you can avoid them. Yeah. All righty. So that wasn't that controversial, I, I suppose. <laughs> um <laughs> No, I, I was halfway through. I was going to say, I don't know if the game needed to have that many characters, or I didn't know if the game warranted that many characters because they were all the same. And I was like, I was ready to go toe to toe on that, but no, I don't. I think one of the strengths of Gloomhaven is how different the characters are. I yeah. will say that I think some of them are, to me, way more fun to play than others. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the characters I've seen, I'm like, eh, and I'm at the point where I would actually. If I got stuck playing a character and I didn't care for it, I would just go, I actually picked this character because I don't care. Yeah, I'll be honest. We have actually done that, uh, Jen and I, because uh, she found out the hard way. She does not like dealing with summons, summoner characters, because it's so weird how they work, how you don't control them. And she gave it a real college try for quite a while. And she's I'm this is miserable. This is ruining the entire game for me. I do not want to be this character anymore. Um, but I and so, yeah, we just. We just said, well, okay, hey, you've been this character all this time, and let's level that character up to match how far you've taken this character, and you'll have a better time. And we got back on the Gloomhaven train. Oh, that was years ago. 
When was the last time you played Gloomhaven, Tom? A couple months ago, actually. Oh, I really? Pulled... Oh, well, good for you. That, that My biggest problem with Gloomhaven that I have right now is I want to – I don't want to pack it up every time I'm done playing it. So yeah. I actually have it currently – it's in two boxes. I took the lid and put half the stuff in the lid and the other half in the other lid. And then on my desk shelves are the characters. So it just – that's one that – I have a family, so I can't leave stuff set up. Well, I could, yeah. but at, at my own possible peril. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, but I, I I sat down and I played through a couple missions and I was like, oh, I'm going to go through more. And then it just didn't happen. I'm, and now I got someone living in that room, in the game room, so it's even more difficult. Yeah, but the most important thing about Gloomhaven in relation to Tom is everybody has to remember, every time Tom says, I'm not a solo gamer, one word, Gloomhaven. Well, it's not, it's not one word anymore. There's quite a few words, but alrighty. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's go to our game mechanism of the week. Yes. So we've been going through different game mechanisms. Today is Action Retrieval, and I'm glad we're going through this because... I didn't know the name of all these. I always called exactly. this I mean, to keep all the cards I, I, in your I, hand As soon thing. as I saw it, I, I read the, the name, and I'm like, oh, what, what? What does that even mean? I read the description, and immediately, oh, the Concordia thing. Gotcha. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought, too. When I read it, I was like, oh, Concordia. So each player has a set of actions available to them in cards or tokens. And once you spend an action, you can't do it again until you retrieve them which is usually an action itself, and it says, yeah. or may take an entire turn. Yeah, there's some way to get them back. Yep. And so this is, uh, is there only 26 games in this category? Is that right? I'm looking at, um, oh my gosh, you're right. I'm wow. going to see, okay, well, let's see if uh, I'm going to. No, okay, that's not true. There are definitely more games in this category that have yet to be flagged appropriately. Well, let's let's see what they got here. So I'm 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 okay. organizing them by number owned, and right, the number okay. one game is the game we were just talking about, Gloomhaven, yep. uh-huh. which is and it's a uh, great example of it. It's oh actually my word. probably kind of an advanced example of it because uh, there's because... two ways to get the cards back. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you can do the uh, painful. Oh my gosh, I waste an entire turn to do this, or you can do the quick one. But there are huge penalties for doing that. Uh, yeah. I hate doing the quick one. <laughs> It makes me sad because then you have to discard a card. Uh, yep. So Gloomhaven, uh, you have these cards. And I think in Gloomhaven, what's interesting is here. your cards are so specific and they're so special to you. Yeah. And for each character, there might be one or two cards. I'm like, yeah, I'll get rid of that card. But most of the rest, I'm like, no, I really want to use that. Especially if you start upgrading your cards as the game goes by. Mm-hmm. Then you're really like, no. I spent all yeah. this work to get this card. And then the, and the, sec- and the be- one of the beautiful things about Gloomhaven, too, in its card use, compared to, I'd be willing to bet, probably every other game that's going to be on this list is, most of these are, hey, over the course of the game, I'm earning more cards, and I'm adding them, but then I play them, and I have to spend a whole turn to get them back into my hand. Gloomhaven is the exact opposite. You start with all your cards, and you are slowly losing them. Uh, throughout the game, and it just creates so much tension uh, because when you're near the end of a dungeon and you're, okay, I'll spend a whole turn just to draw three cards back into my hand because I've lost everything else. To me, I, I one of my favorite cinematic moments in all of history is John McClane at the end of the first Die Hard 
as he as he he walks as a broken man into the room with the lighting behind him and he shouts Hans and he can barely move. That is what I feel like at the end of every session. At the end of every, we got two cards left. Can we even get this done? Uh, it's man, I, I could I could do a whole show on Gloomhaven, even though I've talked about it I don't know how many hours, and it's just been fresh in my mind because we played a bunch of it last month so that I could get ready for the Frosthaven stuff. But a, a great example of this uh, mechanism. All right. Yeah. The, the most famous example of this is Concordia, probably. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it is ranked quite highly on Board Game Geek 17 here. Uh, this is the whole general basis of Concordia. If you took this out of Concordia, there would be no game. Yes, you're putting out <laughs> stuff on the board to score things. And there's a few other mechanisms. But the whole – you start with a bunch of cards and Concordia lets you get extra cards that do cooler yep. things. And then also getting these cards is your point scoring at the end of the game. Yeah. So it's it's a double whammy, and I still think Concordia doesn't look that good, but it plays very, very well. Yeah. Yeah, actually, the, when we got the original Concordia, I immediately fell in love with it. My wife, she said, well, this is kind of boring and dry and dull, which was very surprising. Uh, you wouldn't expect that kind of stuff from our household since we're diehard uh, Euro aficionados, but it is such a dusty game in terms of its presentation. It wasn't until we got the uh, UK map that she said, oh, this is amazing, because, of course, we lived in the UK for so many years, and she loves uh, England. But, yeah, I, you know, Concordia really cemented this. But I, you know, I, I did a quick scan, and the same year Concordia came out, I think Lewis and Clark came out as well. And I believe Lewis and Clark came out first. And Lewis and Clark does this same thing. You got a handful of cards. You're drafting more of them over the course of the game. You play them until you say, okay, I got to take a break and get all my cards back into my hand. Lewis and Clark deserves a lot more love than it seems to get. Well, there's one major difference, though. Concordia is fun. <gasps> Whoa! That's right! All right! right. I, wow! Here's the I thing about- will give you that Lewis and Clark <laughs> maybe overstays its welcome a bit because it is supposed to be a fast-paced game and it it's can a take race. a long time. But how can you say that? <laughs> Running you- in slow motion. So, all right. Well, it took a long time to get across the continental the continent. Let's but <laughs> wow, that's crazy! I had no idea you felt this way. Yeah, you're gonna I get some like- hate that I think. Well, just, just, I'm, you know, I'm okay uh, with put it. Put on your uh, your flame shields, buddy. I like the uh, dice game. Anyhow, all right. The next <laughs> one is Spirit Island. How does Spirit Island fit into this? A Spirit Island, it pretty much. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to remember. You you get cards, you play them, and I think I think it does the exact same thing, isn't there? A uh, you you keep on running out. I have to admit, I have not played Spirit Island for a couple of years. Um, oh, I really liked it. I do remember yeah. getting. I'm trying to remember it now too. It's yeah. been a bit since I played it. And then we got Root. Um, I assume one of the races I haven't played does it. Right. The 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 combat. Well, the combat's how is it, how does it happen in Root? You on Root each. Each faction plays differently. So the one faction yeah. is playing cards that run in a programmable method. The other That's faction the is... both remember, definitely. There's, then there's the faction that moves around, and he's just trying to cause problems with everybody else. Then there's the cats. Maybe it, it's in root. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I could say, because I only ever played the programming one and the uh, raccoon, you know, the solo raccoon. And I don't believe... Or, you know, did the solo raccoon do it? Oh, man. 
Rude Romanian. to me today was definitely not a game for us. So I have a blind spot for that. This makes me want to go back and play Spirit Island, though, and put this just because it's such a great game. Spirit Island, a cooperative area control game, you know, which is basically what that game is. That is a, such a cool idea. I just realized that I am not on the screen here. Oh. So hang on, folks. Somehow I got cut out. So we're going to put me back in. Hello. I apologize for doing that. Oh, look at that. Yes, I'm all by my lonesome. All right, all right. There we go. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I didn't even realize that was going on. Okay. All right, so back to um, here. The next two, definitely, though. So we have oh, Century sure. Spice Road. Very easily. You play all the cards from your hand. You pick them all back up. You play them all again. Each card gives you a very straightforward action, which is usually collecting resources in some way or changing resources to other resources. Mission Red Planet, and you'll notice there's the second edition, but the first edition came out in 2005. This is one of the first games that I noticed this in for sure. Uh-huh. Um, because in this game you have 10, uh, I think you have 10 turns, and I believe you have eight different cards to play. So you have to play the card that gives them all back to you. Speaking That's of... I just resorted by date. Mission Red Planet in 2005 is the first noted instance of this mechanism. Okay. Interesting. So, they set the stage. It feels like there might have been one before that, though. This is such a no-brainer. It's such a core, simple, and elegant idea. You expect to find it in, in card games from 60 years ago. But I guess not. Yeah. I don't know. A Castle for All Seasons... Which, wow, it's been so long since I Jeez. played this game. I remember playing. I remember liking it. It's get resources, use those resources to build part of a castle. But that's about the... I remember not liking it, although I can't say why. I... Let's see. Let me, let me see if I wrote notes in my... Whenever I get rid of a game, even long before I was doing Rotto Runs Through, I wrote down why. I'm going to open it up. Previously owned. And I seven. I said... A bit too mathy for us. Not that math is hard. It just gets tiring. Is that fair? I don't even remember. That doesn't I, sound like me. I'm trying to remember. Did I, I bring the math. I seek out the math. I wonder if I've grown as a player and I might enjoy this more. It's from the brands. It's from Inca and Marcus. Wow. I, I have totally... I remember playing this game. The first time I played it was in Malaysia. I do remember this. But I don't remember... Much more. Did I even review it? I know I played it. Well. Huh. All right. Oddville. I've not played Oddville. I love Oddville. Oddville might be the first What's Your Game game I ever played. And, and this is it to a T. Um, because it's a card drafting game. You're grabbing cards and slotting them together to make a little city. And you have to make sure roads line up and all that. But the way you draft those cards is you start, I think, with four action cards. And you play one. And it lets you get certain resources that you need to pay for stuff. And eventually, you have to take a turn where, okay, I really need more of that lumber. But I've only played two of my cards. Should I play the other ones and get the lumber later? Or no, I need the lumber now. Which is the hallmark of what makes this so great. The fact that anytime you want, you can get that card back that you played. But the longer you wait, the more efficient you will be. But that means you have to come up with good uses for these other cards. So that when you waste an entire turn getting your hand back, it's to maximum effect. And yeah, Oddville is a, it's a little gem of a game. Uh, and it does it really, really well. All right, then we have Transatlantic. 
which is basically a uh, and kind of a it, it, it's similar to Concordia in a lot of ways. It's got the same basic core mechanism, but there's no map that you're taking control over. Instead, you're a captain of industry building up ships and ship technology upgrades. Uh, so a lot of people liken it, but they really do have very different feels, even though they have this same mechanism in their heart. What about Trogdor, the board game? <laughs> I, somehow I missed Trogdor, the board game. I missed which it came too. Out last year. And then Assault of the Giants, this one I've played. This one you have various actions that you're going to take over the course of the game. Um, do you play them on them, pick them up? I don't remember <laughs> that part of it. I remember the fighting and how the fighting worked. But let me jump to the next one because this one is Santa Domingo. I really like this game. This is a very not noticed game. I don't know if you've played yeah, this one. Yeah, I really wanted to play it. I never got a review copy, but I remember it being. Oh, I didn't either. I went. I went. Essence. I went. And bought you saw it, it out yourself. Oh yeah, wow. I, well, I I saw it at a stand at UK Games Expo, and I said, "Wow, that looks really similar to um, uh, what's the." What's the game where you flip over ships and they don't pop on you? Uh, you push your luck style game. Port Royal. Oh, Port Royal, yeah. It's the same artist and it's the same kind of box. It's the same company. And I thought, wow, yeah. you know, I'll give this one a whirl. And I really thought it was fun. It's huh. the same idea where you all play a card and then you can't play them again. But you also are – it's simultaneous selection. So what everyone else plays can affect what you play too. Really? I love simultaneous action selection. That is one of my favorite mechanisms of all time. You just put this back on my wish list. I've just marked it as like to have. Then these next four games aren't out yet. March of Progress, 100 Astronauts, Bronze Age, and Statera. Well, I'm assuming yeah. they're not out. There's very few uh, things on them. Man, this is really bugging me, though. I really... Oh, and Monuments. Oh, Monuments. Um, this is really bugging me, though. I really feel like this must be in more games. Well, I mean, it's interesting. As you just pointed out, it looks like... There's maybe an explosion of games coming, and you know, maybe it's something that, uh, again, I mean, what was it? Mission Red Planet? I mean, but all the way back to 2005, this existed. Why did it take until Concordia for this to become a popular mechanism? That is really surprising, because it just works so well. It creates so much tension. And you know what? Lewis and Clark is missing, having gone through this list. Let me throw this one out at you. You tell me. What about Euphoria? Because uh, they're not cards, they're dice that you put out on the board. And eventually you're going to get to a point where anytime you want, you could spend a whole turn recalling all those dice. No. But what you hope is, you hope that other players will bump them out of their spots so you can get them out without having to waste a turn recalling them all. Same thing for the orange game that I can never remember the name of, the game that was all orange. Uh, yeah, with- uh, the, the, the trouble with, not to trouble with tribbles, um, yes. asking for troubles. Um, yeah, yeah, asking for troubles, yeah, exactly. I don't I mean, think so are... because that's just worker placement. You're not, they're not an actual action. They don't give you an action. They're an actual worker. So there are other games like that, like um, Manhattan Project and things, where you put your workers out or you pull them back. Well, okay, I'm going to go back to the description then because it's I think a, you said category. We, you or know what? some other affordance embodied by cards, tokens, or another affordance like workers. Look, <sighs> this is spirit of the law. You know it's not – you know what? <laughs> Someone mentioned this in one of the comments. We really do got to get Jeff in here sometime and put him on the hot seat. You know? Explain yourself, Engelstein. <laughs> we don't know what this means. So, <laughs> Professor. All righty. Well, that's yeah. enough of that one here. Um, 
Yeah, my only complaint is I love this mechanism, Ooh. and I would have expected this list to be twice as long. And somebody, I guess somebody it will said, be eventually. Now, I don't know. Someone said Crown of Amara. But in Crown that's of right, Amara... That's the crazy triple rondelle game, isn't it? Oh, no, but it is. You're right. Well, in because, Crown of Amara... Yeah, you, rondelles, but you are playing three cards, and eventually you pull them back, don't you? Sure, but they come back automatically. So oh, it's just okay. The, if they come back automatically, then that's a pass. Because the whole point of this is that tension. I cannot wait to get this card back. I'll take it back now, even though it's a waste of a turn, so that I can basically play the same action twice in a row. Someone just pointed out, Flotilla has this. I haven't played Flotilla yet, but Aquatica. Aquatica definitely has this. 100%. Of the new course. Aquatica yes. from uh, Cosmodrone. Right, and that's... Honestly, if you put this in your game, the chance of me liking it is really high. This is it's one of my favorite things that exists. This is clearly... This is simply a mechanism that is hard to mess up. Just kind of like it's hard to make a truly bad roll-and-write game. I think it's kind of hard to make a game that isn't fun on some level if you just use this basic system. And in the meantime, I'm going on to Aquatica and editing the database so that it can get added to this list. Because well, this will not stand. I love Aquatica. All right, well, while he's editing that, let's jump to the next part where we go over a top five list. Woohoo! <laughs> Alrighty, folks, if you have a top 10 list for us, why not drop it into us? Send us a, um, an idea. I'll pick four of them. Pass them over to Rado. He'll pick one. And then on the spot, we'll make the most definitive possible list as of April 3rd, 2020. Yep. An unassailable um, list. The, the, as close to perfection as humanity has ever produced, these lists we make. Um, yes. Um, so humility definitely is a list. The most top five. Humble people. Top five humble, humble brags. All righty. So someone already mentioned this one. All right. So it's always you're allowed to mention things that have happened. You're allowed to give us topics that we have not done in the past. So even if they made the top the top four. All right. Mm. I'll do that okay. one. Um. All right, I got them already. All right, <laughs> these me. these are not these are not um uh, gaming related. All right, so here we go. Top five fantasy races. I think this was okay. mentioned before. Yeah. Top five. Yeah, well, it's a follow-on to monsters, basically. Top five Marvel characters. Oh. Top five disappointing movies, and top five ice cream flavors. Oh. <laughs> oh. I like all of those very much. All right. So I think we're establishing on Tuesdays we do a game one, and on Fridays we do a non-game one, it sounds like, which I'm yeah. totally cool with. Well, the, oh. I like... It's a... I don't know. Most dis... I... I... Um, oh, man. It's so... geeky inside baseball to do top five Marvel characters, but that's what I want to do. But I feel like, should we do something a bit more broad? Or what do you think? I, I think who cares? I, I Well, I love talking Marvel. Make mine Marvel. All right, this is from Board Game Fangirl. Top All five right. Marvel characters. And here's okay. the problem, though. This is going to be a tricky one because on this one, I think the vetoing is going to be fierce. So we're going to have to top... I think there might be some problems. 
um, for reasons that I bet will become clear very, very soon. Yes. But I will start out with an unassailable choice. Not only the greatest Marvel character, but one of the greatest characters in all of human uh, creative writing history, Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Oh, whew. okay. Yes, I just I just wrote that down, actually. Well, you can okay. see there's Spider-Man. <laughs> I was going to write down my top five, and if you said any of those, it's automatically on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Now, they've done some bad things with Spider-Man over the years. Um, they've done some really interesting things, and they've done bad things that have become interesting. Yep. So not a they, Clone Saga fan, I assume. Not a well. That's the thing, Ben Riley fan. I, I was not a Clone Saga fan. I thought the whole thing was silly. Except I then began to enjoy Ben Riley, and then they was killed it ben him Riley? off. I think that's right. Yeah, it was Ben Riley. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know this for sure. They killed him off, but then they brought him back, and. <laughs> He's interesting, and and the whole Doc Ock thing, which I thought was stupid at first, turned out to be pretty good. I loved loved the Superior Spider-Man run. That was so fantastic. I would have happily let that go on for another five years. Well, actually, it Uh, still um, is going on. They they are doing it in an alternate world. Oh, really? So that you can still see uh, the Superior Spider-Man in his, you know, whatever he's doing right now. And they've done some things that some of my most unhappiness with Marvel— has been Spider-Man. Like, okay. when they did uh, the breakup with him and, and Mary Jane. The One more day. Brand new day, or one more day. One brand, more day. No, brand new day. Brand new day made me stop reading comics for, like, an entire year. <laughs> because I was just so... I mean, to throw away... I mean, because his character had grown so much. I mean, he... You know, Spider-Man has always kind of mirrored my life. I mean, he got married. They were talking about having kids. And to then just... Oh, no, no. He's, he's 20 years old again, and he's back straight out of college, having problem going on dates, and it's like, why? You're throwing away such a rich, so many years of rich development. I mean, I the one thing I liked about that, though, that I thought was very cool, the way they did it, because the whole idea, oh, we, we need to DH Spider-Man, let's have him make a deal with the devil to save Aunt May, just let her die. Let her die, I'm sure we were all saying. But when he, <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, Mary Jane... Uh, makes the Mary Jane is the one who really made the deal because she didn't forget and she was forced to remember uh, the life they had, and that was amazing as a concept. And they could have done so much with it, and then they totally flub it and throw it away. They really and, did, I mean, and they finally have kind of retconned it a bit to some degree. <clears throat> oh, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I that was disappointing. I will say that if you do read Spider Man, that's a good time to jump in though because. That that sure, was called One More Day. Brand New Day is a good point to jump in. And yeah. Spider-Man did have some fun storylines in Brand New Day. It's I, a good... I, yeah, I, yeah the, the, the work they did within that confine, I just hated the entire construction because, I mean, to me, one of the strengths of Marvel Comics over DC has always been we don't do... Let's just completely wipe the entire world and start over. Ever since Crisis on Infinite Earths, which I admit was kind of needed in the DC canon... Uh, but now, you know, DC will just, hey, well, let's new 50 to it. Oh, that didn't work out. Let's do whatever we're doing. And they just keep on resetting and nothing has any stakes. Marvel, the stuff that happened in the 60s, yes, no longer was uh, Tony Stark um, lost behind uh, the lines in Vietnam. They changed it to the Afghan war. But the stories still maintain continuity. But then they did Brand New Day. That shook me. And then Secret Wars 3 made me walk away and I haven't been back since. Secret Wars 3? 
or you know whatever they called the third secret. You know, in the eighties, eighty four, I loved Secret Wars, and Secret Wars two was kind of weird. But Secret Wars three was when they said, "Hey, this is our crisis on Infinite Earths. We're gonna destroy the entire multiverse for a little while." Segments of the multiverse will all get glommed together on this battle planet. Oh, oh you're talking about the one that, that just happened. Solved, there will only be one universe now, which is why Miles Morales it can now hang out with Peter Parker, which is fine. But, I mean, that to me, that always felt like, hey, this is the stuff DC does. You were better than this, Marvel. And, uh, and that's when I stopped. Well, that was only like two years ago, you know. <laughs> I, I did. I stopped. I haven't been back. All right. But anyway, so Spider-Man agreed. I think the only thing we might argue is number one. I know you're going to give some that I don't like. For I'll, I'll just cut to the chase. I am not an X-Man fan. So I can't put any X-Men on the list? You can do it. And I imagine there are a few I'll say sure, and a few I'll say really? Come on, dude. Well, the only X-Men... I, actually, I like a lot of the X-Men, but my favorite is Iceman. Bobby Drake. Because if... He has such an interesting history. So his parents, he and his parents have a really bad relationship because they don't like the fact that he's a mutant. So that's kind of interesting. And he also is, according to the Marvel canon, one of the most powerful mutants in the world. Like he could freeze the whole world if he wanted to. But he doesn't know how to access this power. How Human Torch, if he wanted to, could ignite the atmosphere and just instantly destroy the planet as well. Omega level threats, they are. Yes. Yes. So I've always liked him. I like his sense of humor. I like the characters who don't take themselves too seriously. That's why I like Spider-Man because Spider-Man always has a quip, and no one likes Spider-Man. You know, it's unfortunate. <laughs> they 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 should like the guy. You know, um, but so that's fine if you don't want to put any X-Men. Just... I I don't. I mean, well, I mean, if you're gonna, I mean, to me, here's my problem with the X-Men as a whole. For the vast majority of their time in Marvel Comics, they might as well be on a completely different publisher because they exist in a almost parallel universe. There's, I loved X-Men versus Avengers, you know, and I loved Black Panther marrying Storm. And if there's one X-Men I can tolerate, it's probably Wolverine because he's so popular that he keeps popping into regular He's, he's, he's on like eight different teams, though. He doesn't have enough mm-hmm. time. Wolverine doesn't have enough time <laughs> yeah, exactly. to be on all the teams that he's on. And they also... Yep. I would I like Wolverine a lot. You know, he's he's a fun character, but it's hard to feel any sort of connection with him because he literally just dies all the time or is in a position where he would die and then doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. His, because, his yeah. healing he's factor He's a mortal character. There's no stakes for him and uh not that there hasn't been really point. amazing storytelling done with him and all that, but still, I mean, none of the I mean, so it's interesting, Bobby Drake for you speaks to you. I mean, cuz what you just talked about is his problems with his family and his background. You were kind of convincing me a little bit there by making him a more interesting character because I just tend to dismiss them all as, oh, they're just all those X-Men that might as well be in the Wildfire universe or something like that because they're really not part of the Marvel universe. Well, the universes collide a lot more these days. There certainly oh, is, do they? There certainly is a lot more crossover than there used to be. And there's a few characters. Um, Wolverine, like you mentioned, the Beast is consistently all over the place too because Beast was on the Avengers for a while. Yeah. Um. Let me see here. So Spider-Man... If you could only have one X-Men, it would be Iceman. You're saying Iceman is the pinnacle of X-Men. He's my favorite X-Men. I don't like Cyclops. I don't like... um, I don't like Professor X. They're they're too pretentious, both of them. Um, (laughs) Yeah, if I had to pick pick one person from the X-Men, it would probably be Magneto. Uh, Because uh, thinking back... 
Magneto is a really kind of pivotal character in the Marvel pantheon because back in the original Secret Wars, he got put with the heroes. And everyone's like, why, why are you here? This makes no sense. You're clearly a villain. You know, 30 years of comics lore says you're a villain. And yet, Jim Shooter had the, uh, the foresight to put him with the heroes because Magneto considers himself a hero. Uh, because he is viewed from his perspective. And I thought that was really uh, showed a lot of uh, insight into humanity. And I really liked that. And then, you know, and that kind of created a almost a Magneto trope where, oh, this month he's a good guy. This month he's a bad guy. Now he leads the Avengers. Now he's restarted the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. But I always thought that was an amazing moment. And it blew my mind as a, I was going to say a kid, but it was his early 80s. So I was a preteen that why is he here? Oh, and so for me, it was a very eye-opening experience. It's like one of those early moments of literature that kind of informs my views of the world that, yeah, you know what? Uh, terrorists don't think of themselves as villains. They see themselves as heroes, and so does, and, and they gave, uh, you know, they, they gave him a platform. So I thought that was really amazing. Uh, if, I were gonna, if I were to call out one, it would probably be him. Plus, his powers are cool. They are cool. Um, if they are somewhat inconsistent, but that's a problem with Marvel in general. Marvel doesn't yeah. know how to define their characters' powers. Um, For a while, he used to be able to um, uh, manipulate the iron in your blood and suck all of your blood out of his body. He hasn't done that very often, though. No, because they realize at a certain point it's getting kind of ridiculous, ridiculous I think. Yeah. Um, let me see. A, a, a character I really that's really grown on – well, okay, I'm going to go with an obvious one first. How about Captain America? I've always liked him. You think he's too white bread? I think, I think what the movies have done with him, which to be fair is kind of encapsulating you know fifty years of comics history and compressing it into ten movies. If if, if it were not for the cinematic universe, I I mean, Captain America was always so ho hum. I would give it though to Bucky Cap. Oh, that's interesting. That, that was like a two-year run, and that was an amazing run. Um, you know, Bucky having to deal with, you know, well, the death of his lifelong friend, carrying that mantle. Um, suddenly, Captain America used a gun, and so he was a bit more dangerous. Uh, I I wouldn't have thought of it until you said Cap, but I would totally go with Bucky Cap as one of the coolest, uh, you know, character turns in all of Marvel history. I like Falcon Cap, too, but the problem with him was it was very short. And yeah. he had the regular Captain America kind of looking over his shoulder. Um, this is going to be tough. Captain America during – what about Captain America during Civil War? Because I really like him there. Um, I always thought he was a cool character. Speaking of Civil War, one of my favorite He's characters – He's always been – for the most part of his history, I mean, oh, I'm depressed because America sucks. I'm going to become nomad for a while. It's just – I don't think Marvel has ever really known nomad what to do Nomad has never happened. Him. Um, um, until the cinematic universe said, no, no, here's what you do with them. Um, you know, you, you just, you double down on that man out of time and, uh, you know, ethos to him. And I mean, he's fine, but no, I, I mean, plus if there is one character who has more plot armor around him than any, than Captain America, I don't know who it is. Captain America could, without breaking a sweat, take down anybody because the writers always, just, you know, just make it happen just like that. I don't care. But I will say this as an aside. Yes. People may not agree with me. You know, people always say the book is better than the movie. I think the cinematic universe, where it's at now, is has done a much better job at tying everything together than the exactly. Marvel comic universe has ever done. 
Yep. I wouldn't have said that at the beginning. At the beginning, they would make changes, and I would go, ah, that's not how that works exactly. Ah, you forgot this character. At this point, I'm like, yeah, you guys know how to do this. Um, all right. Uh, here's an off-the-wall one I like a lot. Uh, speedball. Speedball. Is that's speedball? a mutant, I assume. No, he's on the new Avengers. Oh, is he? Okay. Uh, did you not read the Civil War? I did, yeah. Oh, was, oh, was he the one and he became Penance? Yes. Is that is his name not Speedball? Am I, am I speed? Yeah, he's Speedball. Robbie Baldwin. Okay. He became Penance. He was a goofy, really yeah. goofy character on the, on the thing. And then he went through that whole thing and became Penance and then pulled back from that. I thought it was a really good character arc. I, I really like that whole. I, I, mean, I agree. I mean, I think it's maybe a little on the nose, but I did. I thought it was a really brave thing to do, turning him into the ultimate goth character, um, you know, and, and having his internal turmoil literally become a superpower. I, I, I actually, I, I really dug that stuff. But then he pulled back from it as time went by, yeah. uh, and and became a, a a more straight up hero, but never completely. He's a very different character now than he was then. I really enjoyed him. What about if we jump to the uh, Fantastic Four? Okay. Well, for me, it would have to be Ben Grimm. Okay. I was going to ask, because I would put Ben Grimm on the list. I really like him. He's a really fascinating character. character. <laughs> All right. All Peter right. Parker, Ben Grimm. I would actually Where put him there. I really like Ben Grimm, the way he acted during Civil War, where he tried to remain neutral, uh, where he has this, uh, you know, this, this underlying sadness, and then he has to... He deals with a human torch who never ever stops poking him. You know, yeah, just yeah, constantly. Yeah, great relationship there. Um, he he's been fantastic as a team player. He's been fantastic as a solo run. Um, you know, kind of you know with again it's a torture. Uh, I I totally I'm down with that. I think we have our number two. I'm going to throw out our number three, and I dare you to disagree with Jennifer Walters, She-Hulk. Oh, you know what? I might have, except last week I read the entire She-Hulk. The whole line. I don't know why. Okay. I, 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 for some reason, I read a random comic of it, and I was like, I'm starting from the beginning, and I read through the whole She-Hulk thing, and I, I met characters I never met before. She had a, yep. a scroll friend, and there's a little bit of fourth wall breaking occasionally, which I don't yep. like. Well, that um, was kind of she. That was originally her shtick. She was doing that years before Deadpool ever did it, but now Deadpool and I guess Gwenpool own that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I have always loved her because yeah, I, back when I was a teenager, I loved her breaking the fourth wall. Back was it John Burns run on her, and uh, and that and that more recent storyline where she said, okay, I'm kind of done with all this. I'm just going to really focus on my legal practice. Um, I mean, there is so much that can be done with her. She's such a great character, and you wouldn't think so. You'd think she's just like a cheap knockoff. Oh, great, we got to have a female version of the Hulk, and yet she—I mean—they have used her to such great effect. I like her better than the Hulk. I mean, I like the Hulk, but the Hulk is in the same category as Wolverine, where it's like, yeah, seriously, that's just—he just survives (laughs) nuclear bombs and stuff. Okay, whatever. (laughs) Um, She's much more interesting. They actually, in in the recent past couple years, she now acts like the Hulk did. They've really. She looks like the Hulk. She's doing a little bit of Hulk smashing stuff. I yep, don't know yep, yep. how long that will last, but I thought that was interesting. She also, the sides and the way she, she handled things during Civil War. I, I know I keep coming back to Civil War, but that's where I, I watched a lot of stuff. I really feel bad that we're, like, cutting off the whole X-Men universe here. No, no, no. I mean, well, that's a good I, 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 chunk. Magneto. Magneto oh, okay. is the greatest thing the X-Men universe ever created. Fine. We'll put Magneto on our list. So we have Spider-Man, hey, Thing, She-Hulk, and Magneto. Yeah, we can't all be heroes. Uh, 
All right, so we talked about Avengers. We talked about Fantastic Four. We talked about Peter Parker, uh, Spider-Man. I got to say, I really... I like Spider-Man a lot, and, and I like a lot of the people in his universe, too. Yeah. I like the new Spider-Gwen a lot. I find her to be a fascinating character. Mm-hmm. Um, Black Panther's a pretty cool character. Yeah. Um, I'm jumping around here. Marvel characters. There's a lot of... What about? I would be the... shocked if you've read them, but did you read Garth Ennis's run? His, his long, long run on Punisher. No, and I would Punisher. Veto... I would never have considered, except for all the work he put in all those years. Those are some amazing stories that really elevated it beyond you know, kind of the schlocky backstory of, of Punisher. I mean, really deep, powerful stories. But if it, I mean, I don't know if I could. I mean, that's really more a testament to his writing than the character himself, I suppose. Yeah, I like I, Punisher's okay. It's just that 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 sort of thing is like in a different Marvel universe. So whenever they bring Punisher in, you know, how you mentioned the X Men. That's how I mm-hmm. kind of feel about both Punisher and about Blade. Whenever those two characters show up, I think, oh, okay, that's right. These guys are in the Marvel universe, and I, I don't really yeah. understand how they they got there. Yeah, and what and what does their being here imply? I mean, that would mean the whole Marvel universe should be different if there are vampires running around like this all the time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Let's what does see. the audience say? Oh, they're just talking about all different things, and uh, they're right now talking about Doctor Doom. I like Doctor Doom. I think he's a cool villain. Yeah, but I wouldn't put him in my top five. No, I yeah, I mean. I and I, w- I, w- I would say he can't touch Magneto. Oh, just in terms actually, of- oh, if, if we're talking about villains, and this is even outside the cinematic universe, where in the cinematic universe he reigns supreme. But yeah, Loki, I really like. <sighs> Loki is cool. In the comics, Loki does a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, he's really important, and you know he he's got such a rich backstory as well. Huh. I don't know that I have a problem with that. Well, just in purposes of moving us on to the question and answer segment. <laughs> All right. That's true. So here's our team. Spider-Man, The Thing, She-Hulk, Magneto, and Loki. Pretty powerful team and that's pretty a, smart team. team. Yeah. Uh, Super genius. time. Yep. Okay. I'm good with that. All righty, folks. We're now going to jump to over that. I'm to cool. your, your questions. That's our definitive list of top five Marvel characters. Let's jump to your questions, ask us stuff, and we may or may not answer it. All right. All righty. Yeah, a lot of people mentioned while we're waiting, the Guardians of the Galaxy. I love them. I love them in the movies. In the even, movies. I didn't even notice them in the comics until now. Now they've it, done a lot of things with them. Yeah. It is weird. I was, uh, at the time... Uh, I was working, it's still in the video game industry, working on Secret Wars 3, written by Greg Pak, the guy who wrote World War Hulk. We were working with him, and this, there were big, big plans for it, and the Marvel people kept coming and saying, you, you got to work Guardians of the Galaxy into this. You've got to. They're going to be amazing. You can't believe how amazing their movie is going to be. And we were just all laughing as soon as they left the room. Groot? Really? Star-Lord? Get out of here. No. Um, and... Wow, I, I had to eat some crow over that because 
Yeah, those are fantastic. My right, first question's for me. It says, Tom, what's your favorite Rado video game design? Um, so to help me out here, I actually need to know what games you designed. Okay. Um, the, 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 main, the main ones would be the Siphon Filter series, uh, Fable 2, um, uh, Pitfall of the Lost Expedition, <sighs> Brink, and uh, oh, Bubsy 3D, and I, 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 oh, uh, uh, The Sims? The Sims? I'll give you okay. that. I'm going to have to go with The Sims because that's the only one of those I've played. <laughs> there you go, yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't think uh, – I, I have a bit more action-packed background than I think probably is what uh, uh, Tom works uh, his way into. Yeah, I did The uh, Sims for PlayStation and GameCube and the original Xbox, which I was actually, a very fun project. I stopped playing The Sims. I played it one time, and I, and I put, made my whole family in Sims. And my kids were watching me play, and – I spent all my money on some stupid refrigerator and didn't buy a phone. And then one day when I was at work, the house started on fire and my wife and kids died um, because there was no phone to call anybody. And my kids are watching this happen. And then I come <laughs> home. There's a baby. Uh, the, the, one of the kids was a baby. And I just I was so depressed that I left the baby out in the lawn. And then Children and Family Services came and took it away. And the kids were like, like, they were really bothered by this, and I was like, uh, yeah, I'll play something else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obviously a not good simulation parent. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so let's see here. Da, 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 da. People are talking about Guardians Galaxy. Uh, they can't let that go. What countries have you played games in? Oh, that's okay. interesting. Okay, so how many countries have you played games in? Uh, America, England, France, yeah. Greece, no. Malta, Italy, Switzerland, um, Germany, um, uh, the Netherlands. Um, I might be at nine. There's probably a couple more I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. So right now I'm, I'm counting nine. You haven't been to Canada? I have never played. A, I've been to Canada as a kid, but not as an adult. Oh, oh, uh, 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 Cyprus, Cyprus, that's 10. We, uh, played, uh, on New Year's Eve some year when we went there for a holiday. I said Greece, right? Yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cap it at 10. There's probably a couple more that I'm not thinking of. Right, and my so apologies can... to anybody I'm not thinking of when I mention that. All right. Oh, so oh, I... Portugal, Portugal, of course. Uh, that'd be 11. Sorry, Paulo. <laughs> I got, okay, USA and Canada. And then right. Korea. Okay. China. Nice. Um, Malaysia. Thailand. So that's six. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think what other countries over there I've played games in. Not any. I didn't play in Japan. or. Okay. So then uh, Germany, seven. Iceland, eight. England, nine. And didn't play games when I went to France. And didn't play haven't been to too many other countries over there either. So I th- I'm going to say nine countries. All right. I might be I missing one or two. I am the best world traveler. And I thought of one more. Um, uh, we, we played games in Marrakesh. So, oh, that's not the country. But, yeah. So, Was there a... T- of living in Europe for over for 15 years, <laughs> you end up playing games in a lot of places. Was there a time your YouTube channels kept you from doing something you love with the board game community? Well, I, I would say that happens often, right? Because 
I would like to go to a convention all the time, right? I wouldn't. Uh-huh. I like conventions. I would go to them weekly, and I could go to a lot more conventions probably. You know, if you I could, could be anonymous. Well, no, no. I mean, I, I, I that doesn't even bother me that much. I, I'm saying, oh, okay. but I actually have to do the videos at some point. I don't want to turn into, with all due respect, to George R. R. Martin, who goes to so many cons and does so much stuff, he never writes the book. Ah, sure, sure, sure. And if I went to cons all the time, I wouldn't actually have time to do reviews. So I guess I could say that, like that, yeah. that, that, the the YouTube channel. Other than that, though, I would never let it interrupt my regular life. If it's YouTube channel or, you know, an emergency, my family, the YouTube channel ain't gonna make it. <laughs> a, a good call to be sure I would say the number one thing that doing Rado runs through prevents me from doing that I would like to do more of is playing all of these because I assume the same is true for you Tom I, I play a game a bit I, I get it down I film it I put it on my shelf and five years later there it is completely covered in dust because I've just got to move on to the next thing I'm like a shark if I don't keep swimming forward I'll drown under a mountain of games that I've got to cover and that bothers me, and it really bothers my wife, Jen, because I'm a total cult of the new guy. I love experiencing new stuff. And you know, bring it in. I want to see new mechanisms or new mixes of mechanisms. But my wife is not quite so excited about just the being able to experience the science of game design evolution. And she would very much like to go back and play. I mean, she would love to play Concordia right now. I ain't playing Concordia right now, no matter how amazing it is, because the next game... Uh, Liberation of Reitberg is waiting to be played. So that's the number one thing. that um, I remember before I started Rotto Runs Through, we went for a year playing Agricola every Sunday like clockwork. Uh, you know, and it was our thing, and we loved it. And that's, that's impossible right now because of got to keep that volume. I don't necessarily fall on that same thing just because I really, even if I wasn't reviewing, I would keep hunting down new games. I really like the concept of yeah. it. I would yeah, probably do it well a little bit less. Yeah. And there's a lot of these little games I would not play, probably. Mm-hmm. But uh, So someone asked about me liking your games. What about you liking my games? And this is a joke, folks, uh, because, A, I design nothing personal to be the very antithesis, not of what Rado likes. It just happened to be that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's yep, it's yep, like yep. the most take-that-y of take-that style. So <laughs> if he liked it, I would actually be – Completely shocked in that regard. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, vicious. I, I wouldn't be surprised if I like Vicious Vicious. Yeah, but I have some problems with Vicious Vicious that bother yeah. me with the design of it. So oh, really? Have... That you want to go back and fix? Or were those, did you have a design that got modified by the publisher or what? No, no, no. It's not the publisher. Not the publisher. Um, okay. No, I just, I wasn't completely happy with it. I rank it Ah. at most a six and a half right now. It bothers me a bit. Uh, My new game that I designed that I never published was only at a seven, and I wasn't happy with that. I don't want to publish. I don't want to do another seven out of ten. So I needed to make it better. What's your favorite movie of twenty twenty? The year twenty twenty. Oh, yeah, like so far this year. Jeez, I want to say Black Widow, but it's been delayed. Ah. I agree. I will say, I think, I'm looking quickly online to see what movies came out in 2020, but I think that that, that Pixar movie that just came out. Um, oh, Onward? Yeah, we I, watched it the other night. That was, that was lovely. I, that was so lovely. It, it's, it's not peak Pixar, but it's like, you know, one step down. Yeah, I agree. But man, once again, 
They sucker punched me at the end. I even knew they were going to sucker punch me, right? Someone had said, yeah, oh, yeah, we'll yeah. get you. are sitting there waiting. Okay, bring it on. Oh, you still got me. And they did it in a way I didn't expect. Again, yeah. they're, they're, they're really good. And I like, I like the messages of Pixar so much. The, uh, what is your peak Pixar anyway? Peak Pixar? Um, you know, I, I, I'll be cheap and say the first five minutes of Up. Okay, okay. Excluding the first five minutes of Up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and the rest of Up is lovely as well, but it's really the first five minutes that make that movie. Um, peak Pixar, you know, actually thinking about it, I probably need to watch it again. I might literally say Toy Story 3. Okay. Toy Story 3 so blew me away that it had no right to exist. When, it, you know, coming after perfection, you know, I mean, you, can't, you can't continue this story. It's, oh my God. How did they do this? I it mean, was really the good. wizardry involved in that is amazing. I think my favorite is Inside Out. Inside Out. Inside Out, oh my gosh, yeah. I've probably seen Inside Out more than any other Pixar film because every time another one of our family members comes, or uh, who hasn't seen it, we end up watching it again. Uh, yeah, because that's, that's pretty peak Pixar as well. I agree. All right, what games would you recommend that scale well for two players that weren't specifically designed as a two-player game? Oh, I mean that if well, well you know my answer. Is it you time stories? Uh, no, uh, Seven Wonders. Yeah, you're wrong on that. Uh... Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it's awesome. Do you want to talk about that? I mean, when was the last time you actually tried it? What is your problem with the two-player variant for <laughs> Seven Wonders? I actually don't. I don't. He doesn't remember, folks. He's never actually played it. It's He's a, just drinking the Kool-Aid, going along with the cool kids. For, for sure, for sure, there's there's a lot of that going on involved with it. I I have to say that, hands down, I almost always dislike a two-player variant in a game where it's an added thing later on. Mm -hmm. If there's a dummy player involved, I almost always dislike it. If there is a computer something or other, that bothers me, too. Yeah, any to kind me, of automated system to, yeah, yeah to me if there if the, if the game isn't two player i'll just say i'll find one that is because there's so many good ones mm -hmm. and there's a lot of games yep. especially rosenberg games and feldian games that i think are almost best with two well yeah so, I mean, rosenberg games I, I mentioned before feld games are designed for two so i mean that's my easy go-to i'll try to think of something else um something that really shouldn't work for two or, you know, officially wasn't two or something like that. Let me look. Let me look at my list. And you need to think of one, too, which is going to be tougher for you because two player is ah, not. Your because, it, no, it's, it's not even that. It's just that I'm a big stickler for following the rules in the box. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so if it doesn't mention two, I will not even try it with two. I'm trying to think of a game that worked with two. I know I've done some. I know that I played some games that were really good with two. Mm-hmm. What it, what were they? Yeah. I might say Time Stories, actually, because I think you can play Time Stories with two. Yeah, Time Stories was, for the longest time, right up until about a month before release, it was listed as a three-minimum-player game. And then at the last second, and I just dismissed it out of hand, and at the last second, I said, oh, we put in two-player rules. But those two-player rules were awful. They were atrocious. They were so very clearly an afterthought. And as a two-player gamer... 
I mean, I was forced to come up with my own house rule variants based on some stuff that other players had done online to make them not horrific. I'm glad to say, not that you care or would even move forward with it, that the new cycle, it seems like they're finally addressed the two-player weakness and are actually taking that into account that, hey, maybe two play, maybe couples would like to play this game as well. Because I know their original opinion was, well, this is a storytelling game with everybody telling stories to each other. If you don't have at least three people at the table, it's ruined because you don't have two storytellers isn't good enough. That was literally their design philosophy, and it was wrong. Wrong. Hmm. By the way, I knew people would mention this. Uh, when we talked about countries, people talked about the cruise. But technically, I never left the ship uh, to play. Really? I, I, I mean, no, oh, I left the ship, but I never played a game play. yeah. on an island. And if I know anything about modern day things, the ship is an international conveyance. I, oh, really? I know this. I know this now because of them keeping numbers about uh, about people who are sick and all. And cruise ships are listed separately. <laughs> so, um, when is the next Dice Tower cruise? Oh, it's it's uh, February. Um, oh, so, okay. So you got plenty of time to figure out what's going to happen. Yeah. All right. right. I'm not even thinking about that right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't have a good answer for this question. I apologize, and, everybody. I, I cannot gonna, think of I'm, one. Oh, you know, another good one. Although it's kind of similar is uh, between two cities. Between two cities, really, you need to have two people because it's the whole point. I'm playing with the player on my left. I'm playing with the player on my right. And um, that's the same person. Like huh? It's the same person. Well, no, and that, oh, no, that's awful. That was horrible. That just completely robbed the game of all its specialness. But they did an automated third player uh, that uh, that worked pretty well. Although, actually, thinking about it, Between Two Castles pretty much killed that automated player and came up with a much simpler, more streamlined way. Um, so, I, Wait, I, I mean, I might so how them. do you win? So, in, in, interesting. In, in both of these games, there is a third city, much like Seven Wonders. And um, in the original Between Two Cities, there was an automated system. You drew a card that indicated what they would want to do. There were certain probabilities of what that third city was likely to do so you could plan for it. And then in the new one, you and I are playing Between Two Castles. I've got, uh, you know, I've got two castles next to me. You've got two castles next to you. We are both on turn... In addition to picking tiles for our own castle, each of us are picking tiles for the third castle as well. Or no, no, we're taking turns picking castles for the third tiles. Very Seven Wonders, and it works well. But these are all the same basic idea. But why would I ever work on the on the why that we take control of? And the reason I think these work so well is because the hallmark of a great board game is: does it give me interesting decisions to make? And um, while there can be such a thing as too many decisions to make, I think when it's done well, like Seven Wonders or Between Two Castles, a few extra decisions that you only get to make in two-player that give you a whole extra strategic level to manage and um, control and, you know, and, and use to your benefit, I think enhances the game. That's why I will still say, having played Seven Wonders dozens and dozens of times at all player counts, I still think it is best as a two-player game because it is a deeper, richer, more complex game. All right. Well, on that controversial I, statement, we will have to end today. It's 3 o'clock. <laughs> Time goes by so fast. But we'll be back on the Dice Tower channel uh, at 2 o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time, 11 Pacific Standard Time on um, Tuesday of next week. And since so, it'll be your channel, it'll be all about how Seven Wonders two-player is terrible. And then I'll, the following Friday, I'll come in with a... I'll come in with a whole, I'll be like, all right, we're, we're talking about this. I don't have a skin in this game. It's the weekend. So 
time to play some games. I'll, we'll see Excellent. if there's some interesting ones. I always play them like a year after Rado does. So, <laughs> Alrighty, folks. Thanks so much. Until next time, I'm Tom Vassell. I'm Richard Ham, also known as Rado. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.